and uh, <laughs> uh, the teachings that I get from this is that the ark was made out of uh, wood or a cover with uh, with gold, and this is kind of symbolize what we are. We are made out of uh, earth uh, earth things, but with gold we can sanctify ourselves uh, uh, to God. And gold is always being uh, is precious. Like God is precious to us. That's why uh, we can kind of have to emulate this and the making of this ark and everything. The, it is um, <laughs> sorry. The ark. Uh, God says, uh, "Build the ark so I can uh, dwell within, within, uh, within it." Okay, but in reality, He wants to dwell within us because each one of us is our own ark, you know, and that's why we have to be careful of what we put inside us. The, the way we do with our food, the way we do with our uh, what we see, what we speak, what we eat. So why? Because this body, we, uh, our intention is to make it holy so he can reside with us. But for, in order for him to reside with us, we have to be in peace. We have to be in peace with ourselves. We have to be in peace with our neighbors. Okay. They... Ark and the commandments were not given to the Israelites until they were in peace and they feel like one. And that's what we have to do. We have to be in peace in order to uh, receive him as, uh, as our, our savior. He gave us uh, the commands and the commands are uh, the, the way of life. That way we know exactly what he likes. That's why he, he gives us all that. So we, come, we can comply with what he wants and be one with him. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Wonderful. Great. Anybody else have anything to share? You want to share? Can you? Amor Rafael, Ben Reuben, La Torah, Lach Lachumash. Yotim mitzideha, yotim mitzideha, 
Make a menorah out of pure gold. The menorah shall be formed by hammering it. Its base, its base, stem, and decorative cups, spheres, and flowers must be hammered out of a single piece of gold. Six branches shall extend from its sides. Three branches on one side of the menorah and three branches on the other side. There shall be three embossed cups, as well as a sphere and a flower on each and every one of the branches. All six branches extending from the menorah's stem must be the same in this respect. The shaft of the menorah shall have four embossed cups, along with its spheres and flowers. A sphere shall, sh shall serve as a base for each, spare, for each pair of branches extending from the shaft. This shall be true for all six branches extending from the stem of the menorah. The spheres and branches shall be an integral part of the menorah. They shall all be hammered out of a single piece of pure gold. Make seven lamps on the menorah. Its lamps shall be lit so that they shine primarily toward its, sen its center. The menorah's wicks, wick tongs and ash scoops shall also be made out of pure gold. The menorah, including all its parts, shall be made of a talent of pure gold. Carefully observe the pattern that you will be shown on the mountain and make the menorah in that manner. Make the tabernacle out of 10 large tapestries consisting of twined linen and sky blue, dark red, and crimson wool with a pattern of cherubs woven into them. Each tapestry shall be 28 cubits long and four cubits wide with each tapestry the same size. The first five tapestries shall be sewn together, and the second five shall also be sewn together. Make loops of sky blue wool at the edge of the innermost tapestry 
of the first group is the same on the edge of the innermost tapestry of the second group. Place 50 loops on one tapestry and 50 on the edge of the tapestry in the second group. The two sets of loops shall be made so that the loops are exactly opposite one another. Make 50 golden fasteners. The two groups of tapestries will then be able to be joined together so that the tabernacle will be one piece. Make sheets of goat's wool to serve as a tent over the tabernacle. There shall be 11 such sheets, and each sheet shall be 30 cubits long and four cubits wide. All 11 sheets must be the same size. Sew together the first five sheets by themselves and the other six sheets by themselves. Half of the sixth sheet shall hang over the front of the tent. Make 50 loops on the edge of the innermost sheet of the first group and 50 loops on the edge of the innermost sheet of the second group. Make 50 copper fasteners. Place the fasteners in the loops, bringing the tent together and making it one. There will, there will then remain an extra portion from what is left over in the breadth of the sheets of the tent. The extra half sheet shall trail behind the back of the tabernacle. The extra cubit on both sides in the length of the tent sheets shall hang down over the sides of the tapestries of the tabernacle to cover them on both sides. Make a roof for the tent out of red and ram skins. Above it, make a roof out of the blue processed hides. Make upright beam. Good. Wait. Okay. Good job. That's interesting. Blue processed hides. I think that's the only time I've seen that written. Blue processed hides. There's a lot of, anybody have any comments? Where's the mic? Shalom. Um, I do want to just make one note, um, as this gentleman was talking earlier, um, that in 25 verse 2, it talks about those who are wholeheartedly in desire to bring a contribution. Okay, so that's one thought of in itself, that it's beautiful that the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and all the elements were brought forth by those who desired it. There was, um, no one was forced to do it. Now, in regard to the, the menorah, there's a, so many different things that I could say and how it relates to the almond tree and the tree of life. And I'm sure you've heard a lot of these, uh, these concepts. But what's very interesting is that in verse 37, when it talks about the way that the light of the menorah is supposed to shine, is that it's supposed to shine forward, out into toward the front. And again, I can see a lot of beautiful symbolism there. But when I look at this, I'm reminded of what um, King David wrote in Psalm 119, 105, that your Torah is a lamp to my feet, right? It's, it's a path for me. And so I know that when I'm walking the mitzvah of Hashem, then this ultimately is what is guiding me. He's like his menorah that is a light that is to burn forever. And our light is to always shine and to never go out. We have to remember that fulfilling the mitzvot is not about us. That ultimately by fulfilling and walking out these mitzvot, 
that we are a light to those around us. And I know we used to hear this a lot in Christianity about being a light to the world. I don't think of myself as being a light to the world by going around commanding people what how they should live their life, as I did in Christianity, right? Telling people what to do. I find it to be much more effective when I walk in the ways of Hashem and I love my fellow human being and treat them with dignity and respect. And this, this is the light that shines forth like the menorah. Uh, 14. Um, 2614. Yes, it's, it's translated, it's Tashkins. I mean, I could give, let, let's run down all the different views, okay? It's very easy. There's dolphin skins, whale. They even some say jellyfish. There is um, some say it is uh, like a an animal that went extinct that had a coat like a coat of many colors. Um, and there's another one. And giraffe. Giraffe, I feel, in some way is probably the most probable. I feel personally because it was common in the area, and. It was kind of a unique looking, pretty nice looking. It was also kosher. So there's all these things that kind of, I feel like make it, make it the most probable for me. Anyway, um, there's also some say that it was like this. It was, it was made waterproof or like kind of a waterproof skin. And then they put that on top. And, and that, that term just means waterproofing the skin or something like that. So that, that, there's a bunch of different ones. But and I, I like the giraffe one just because it seems cool. I don't know. Regarding the midrash that says that it was uh, multicolored, mm -hmm. I think that's related to, I think in that same midrash, it talks about how that multicolored, um, it comes from, I believe, wasn't it Leviathan? They, yeah, Leviathan. Yeah, that it came from Leviathan. Mm -hmm. And then it was, it's the same creature that Hashem will slay in in the wedding supper, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. the, 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 the Messianic era and yeah. and feed us which i i don't i believe that because leviathan doesn't seem kosher to me but the the, the tie the tie to the leviathan i guess is or maybe not necessarily the leviathan but the word or in hebrew is light right but then also the word or in in hebrew is skin it's a different word different word different spelling but they both sound the same or right and so they use that skin. You put it on the. I guess they said in the, in the banquet ceremony of the Leviathan, Leviathan skin is all over, and it is, it is shining light. You know, they say like the, the skin itself is shining light. Kind of interesting. Yeah. They also say it's a. They, they tie it to Sukkot. They tie it to all these things. It's really it's really cool. So there's also a midrash that talks about how um. How the. How the temple, uh, it had its own source of light within it, and it would shine out. It didn't need the light of the sun. It would actually produce light um, to the outside. And that, of course, it reminds us of Revelation, where it talks about how um, we won't need the sun. Well, Hashem is, is like the light. Hashem is light. Um, yeah. And then another thing, interesting thing is 
is this woven fabric that's made of wool and linen. You know, for the longest time, I, you know, you know, there's a commandment not to wear a garment that's made of wool and linen. For the longest time growing up, because, you know, I hear it and you just think, oh, this is something bad. You shouldn't do that. You know, you think, I mean, as a kid, I thought this is something like a negative thing. You shouldn't wear wool and linen because it's commanded not to, essentially. But they, but I think today, I, you know, I'm almost 50, right? I finally, like, someone, I read something and it kind of clicked. And it was like, you know, this, this wool and linen fabric was made holy. It was made holy for the, t- for the tabernacle. It was made holy for the priests. And that is why we don't wear it. Because if we're wearing it, we're saying that we are like the priests. And we are like the holy sanctuary in a sense. So that's why it was commanded for the regular Israelite not to be wearing it. I've heard some of those, some of those things about how there's like different wavelengths yeah. and stuff. So since I, I study a lot of natural health and I've looked into this and everything is energy, right? It's not a weird thing. People try to make it weird. <laughs> everything is energy. And so both linen and wool are at a very distinctive high frequency. And it's actually one, just if you wore just linen or if you wore just wool, is actually very healing to the body and actually has the ability to shatter cancer cells. So it's amazing some of the, the research that they have shown on this. However, they are their frequencies are polar opposites. Mm-hmm. And so what happens when you bring the wool and the linen together microscopically, it's like an explosion and it could actually deteriorate your DNA. Mm. So it, there's so much... When people say you can't have the Bible and science, that's a lie because Hashem is the great scientist. And when we look through a lot of these Torah commandments, because he's the creator, he knew what was best for us, even though they didn't understand it then. And now he has given man the knowledge to see it under a microscope. But even then he knew and he understood. But I also agree like to the level of um, the holiness, right? Holiness in of itself is a certain level of frequency that we are cannot quite get there because of our humanity right and i think that uh, walking in the midst of it kind of bring us the closest that we can but we look forward to a time of the resurrection where we can come to that extent of that frequency if it makes sense yeah yeah maybe maybe there was some connection with the temple um and you know that maybe it changed some some scientific way changed so that the priest could still wear it and everything is good and actually maybe healed them as well yeah, exactly. Yeah, or yeah, exactly, kind of. But it is very cool. All right, let's continue. All right, um, have Arye. Ya'amod Arye bin Aron Lahumash. We have to look up we have to look up the halakha when the minion comes right in the middle of the service and see what happens.
Behasita et hakera shin lamish lamishkan atse shi tin om om din esher amot orech hakaresh ama te ama vachati ama Oha Hakeresh Haekhan Shete Yado Yado Lakeresh Haekhan Me Shula Ot Isha El Akota Ken Taase Lakon Kae Kareshe Amik Amishkan Make upright beams for the tabernacle out of acacia wood. Each beam shall be ten cubits long and one and a half cubits wide. Each beam shall have two matching square pegs carved out of the bottom. All of the beams of the tabernacle must be made in this manner. Make 20 beams for the southern side of the tabernacle. Place 40 silver bases under the 20 beams. There shall be two bases under each beam. One to hold each peg, and for the second side of the tabernacle to the north, there shall be 20 beams and 40 silver bases. Here too, there shall be two sockets under each and every beam. Make six beams from the west side of the tabernacle and place another two beams at the corners. All the beams must be exactly next to each other on the bottom. Every pair shall be joined together evenly on the top with a square ring. This shall also be done under, this shall also be done with the two beams on the two corners. Thus, on the west side, there will be a total of eight beams and 16 silver bases, two spaces under each and every beam. Make crossbars out of acacia wood. There shall be five for the beams of the first side of the tabernacle to the south, and there shall also be five for the beams on the second side to the north, and five beams for the tabernacle on the western wall. Of these, the center crossbar shall go through the middle of these beams, or one end of the tabernacle to another. Cover the beams with a layer of gold and make gold rings on the beams to hold the crossbars. The crossbars shall be covered with a layer of gold, and there shall be, and there, and you will be ready to set up the tabernacle in the proper manner as you were shown on the mount. Different beams building the ark um, I read that the, all the all the instructions um, of building the tabernacle are kind of like a like a poem, like a song, and like the, the words kind of flow like a song in the Hebrew. Um, so that's probably why sometimes we read it and it seems like it's kind of repeating. Or, you know, but it's because it's 
That's just kind of like a song. All right. Um, go to next. Ya'amod Moshe Menashe Ben Shmel Mechel Achumash. Shabbat Shalom. Okay, so everybody can hear me. That's good. Vasita paroche techelet viargaman veto beto lahat shani vesheish mash zar mahase chashev yahase ota gerubim venatata ota Tahat Hakirasim Behaveta Shama Mibet La Parochet et Aron Hadut Behavila A Parochet Lachem Bain Hakodesh Ubain Kodesh Hakarashim Venatata et Kaporet et Aron Haidut Bakodesh Hakadashim Bakodesh Hakadashim. Okay, in English. Yes. Okay. Um, you shall make the altar uh, of acacia wood five cubits in length and five cubits in width. The altar shall be square and three cubits its height. You shall make its horns on the four corners. From it um, shall its horns be. You shall cover it with copper. You shall make its pots to clear its ashes, its shovels, its basins, its forks, and its fire pans. You shall make all its vessels of copper. You shall make it for a knitting of copper meshwork and make upon the meshwork four copper rings at its four edges. You shall place it under the surrounding border of the altar from below, and the meshwork shall go to the midpoint of the altar. You shall make staves for the altar, staves of acacia wood, and you shall plate them with copper. Its staves shall be brought into the rings, and the staves shall be on the two sides of the altar when, it's, um, when it is carried. Hollow of board shall you make it as you were shown on the mountain, so shall they do. So if you're an architect or an engineer, this parasha is perfect for you. <laughs> yes, definitely. But you were saying before about kosher animals. I, I heard I read also in Midrash that Takash could have a multicolored skin, but the Leviathan is not a kosher animal. And Raim could be a, a unicorn. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that's right. Unicorn. Yeah. So horses are not kosher, horses, Seuss. But 
also like you know to make the techelet the, the blue thread mm-hmm. red, supposed to be um some type of something derived from a mollusk of mm-hmm. some type yeah yeah Snail. they're not kosher you can't eat them well you can but they're not kosher yeah that's right that's right you're right so I'm not sure. I mean, I'm just saying, I don't know. I'm just curious, too. Just like everybody else, we're all learning. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I guess not everything needs to be. O- only things that you're going to eat need to be kosher. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. you can't eat anything that's not kosher. So like the mollusk they, they used to make the tahelet, you can't eat it. It doesn't have to be. He's saying it doesn't have to be a kosher animal to be on top of it. Yeah, I'm saying I'm not sure if it has to be a kosher animal. Yeah, because yeah, when they talked about sense. the Leviathan that, or Leviathan in Hebrew, that's not necessarily a kosher animal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That's all I was going to say. Within, kosher within, and not necessarily kosher without. Yeah, but you're not going to eat it. Exactly. Good. Very so good I, insight there. So I asked, I asked, um, I think it was my stat. I asked my my asked my Satmar rabbi once, um, how can someone be a doctor when they are um when they are um they have to as part of their training uh, touch um, unclean animals and dissect them? And he said that if you're touching something unclean not for the purpose of eating it, there's nothing wrong with that. So doctors can go to medical school and dissect frogs and Jews can also play football, even though the the skin of the of the ball is made from an unclean animal. He said, because you're not touching it in order to eat it. Yeah. He said that that's what the prohibition is about, about, it's about eating. That makes sense. Remember when you're dissecting it, you're wearing gloves too. Yeah, that too. Most you're of the time. You're not actually touching it, right. Or... Um, as um, Ted Carey, Toby Mikas, unless you're a Kohen, well, if you're a Kohen, you're not supposed to. I think that only applies to a human dead body. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, yeah but he's saying if you're a Kohen, then you're not supposed to. You have extra restrictions. Yeah, how can a Kohen dissect a cadaver, a human cadaver? And that's a, that's a good question for a rabbi. Yeah, that would be a good question. <laughs> how could it how can a Kohen dissect a human cadaver? <laughs> it's interesting though that also the Kohen, although they may not be um you know, like you said, it might be hard for them to become a like a modern day doctor because they can't maybe not do these things, but they were instructed, you know, to make rulings on, you know, um what was it, the disease that people would get. Sada'at and that of the disease of the houses in different places. So they were they were supposed to know, um, I guess, visually what what um, diseases people had. They're kind of like doctors, a little bit, at least like had a had a taste of it. All right, um, let's continue on. Yamod Yaakov and Abraham Lato Lachumash. Is Yaakov there today? 
I think he knows that he's like put at six Aya and he, he leaves before his turn. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, did he? No, no, he did. It's reading here. Okay, oh, I'll read it. I'll read it again. So the fifth reading is about the the arc of the testimony, the the cloth that that separates the two. I'll read. I'll read both of them just because it's not very long. Make a cloth partition out of sky blue, dark red, and crimson wool, woven together with twisted linen. Cherubs shall be woven into it so that they can be seen on both sides. Place it on four gold-covered gold acacia pillars having gold hooks. The pillars shall be set in four silver sockets. Place the cloth partition directly under the fastenings, holding the tapestries together. Into the space behind this curtain, you will bring the Ark of Testimony. This curtain will thus be divided, will divide between the sanctuary and the Holy of Holies. You will then place the cover of the Ark of Testimony in the Holy of Holies. Place the table inside the curtain toward the northern wall of the tabernacle. The menorah shall be opposite the table toward the southern wall of the tabernacle. Make a drape for the entrance of the tent out of sky blue, dark red, and crimson wool, and in and twined linen. It shall be embroidered work. Make five acacia pillars to hold the drape. Cover, cover them with a layer of gold and place golden hooks on them. Cast five copper bases for the pillars. Make the altar out of acacia wood. The altar shall be square, five cubits by five cubits and three cubits high. Make protrusions on all four sides as an integral part of the altar. Then cover it with a layer of copper. Make pots to remove its greasy, greasy ashes as well as scoops. Sacrificial basin, no, yeah, sacrificial basins, flesh pokers, and fire pans for the altar. All these instruments shall be made of copper. Make a screen out of copper, out of copper net to go around the altar. Place four copper rings on the four corners of the screen. The screen shall be placed below the decorative border of the altar, extending downward until the middle of the altar. Make carrying poles for the altar out of acacia wood covered with a layer of copper. Place the poles in the rings so that the poles will be on the two sides of the altar when it is carried. The altar shall be hollow, a hollow secure, a hollow structure made out of boards. You must make it as you were shown on the mountain. So, um, so the idea is that Hashem, I mean, that Moshe went up into the courts of heaven and, and saw um, all these things, or a version, I would say, of all these things, a heavenly version. And, you know, and the Midrash says, Moshe says, well, how, how can I make these things? I'm not, I'm not God. How can I make things like what I'm seeing up here in heaven? That kind of thing. And Hashem said, well, just make a pattern of them. You know, you do what you can on earth, and I will tell you what, what materials to use to try to mimic this heavenly sanctuary, this heavenly um, version. So that, that's kind of like the idea. So whenever we hear at the end, it seems like almost at the end of every, every Aliyah, it's like 
you know, make this, make it as you were shown. So that shows that the writers of the Besorah, the New Testament, were aware of Jewish Midrashim. All right, let's go to next. Um, Ta'amod ahava betrovin la Torah, la chumash. closure for the tabernacle in this manner. On the south side, there shall be hangings made of twine linen. Like all the other sides, it shall be a hundred cubits long. It shall have 20 pillars and 20 copper bases. Hooks and bands for the pillars shall be made of silver. The same shall be done on the north side. The hangings shall be a hundred cubits long with 20 pillars and 20 copper bases with silver hooks and bands for the pillars. The width of the hangings at the eastern, at the western end of the closure hall shall shall be 50 cubits, and it shall have 10 pillars and 10 bases. The width of the enclosure at its eastern end shall also be 50 cubits. Of this, the hangings on one side of the entrance shall be 15 cubits long, with three pillars and three bases. On the other side, the hangings shall also be 15 cubits long, with three pillars and three bases. The entrance of the enclosure shall be covered with a 20 cubit embroidered drape made of sky blue, dark red, and crimson wool together with twisted linen. It shall have four pillars and four bases. All the pillars of the outer enclosure shall have silver hoops. 
silver hooks, and copper bases. The length of the enclosure shall be 100 cubits, and its width shall be 50 cubits. The pillars holding the hangings of twine linen shall be five cubits high, and their bases shall be made of copper. All the equipment used to make the tabernacle shall be made out of copper. The stakes for the tabernacle itself and all the stakes for the enclosure shall also be made of copper. Good comments. Anyone else have any comments? No? All right. Anyone online? You guys are pretty quiet this week. Um, Kol amudehat ser saviv mehusharkim kesef vavehem kasef vaadnehem nechoshet oref Hatsu <laughs> Kamesh Amot Shesh Mashazar Vead Vead Nehem Nehoshet Lefokele Hamishkan Beho Avodato Beho Yetedot Beho yetzedotav, beho yitzdot, bezat hechatzer nechoshet. Yeah. Um, I think this is it. Yeah. Are you going to do the blessing or no? No. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Bemet Baruchata Adonai Abacher Batora of Moshe Abdo of Israel Amo Vinvie Hamet Batse de Amen.
In the 480th year after the children of Israel's exodus from the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Zeev, which is the second month, he built the temple for Hashem. The temple that Solomon built for Hashem, 60 cubits was its length, 20 its width, and 30 cubits its height. The hall in front of the sanctuary of the temple, 20 cubits, 20 cubits was its length along the width of the temple, and 10 cubits its width in front of the temple. He made narrowing windows for the temple. Against the wall of the temple, he built an annexal around, built into the walls of the temple all around the sanctuary and the inner sanctum, and he made side chambers all around. The lowest story of this annex, the lowest story of the annex, its width was five cubits. The middle story, six cubits its width, and the third story, seven cubits its width. For he had provided recesses around the outside of the wall of the temple in order to not in order not to penetrate the walls of the temple when the temple was being built it was built of complete quarried stone hammers chisels or any iron utensils were not heard in the temple when it was being built the entrance of the temple of this the entrance to the central ground level side chamber was at the south side of the temple and they would ascend on winding stairs to the middle story and from the middle story to the third he built the temple and completed it. He made the temple ceiling of decorative wooden panels under cedar planks. He built the annex along the entire temple. Five cubits was its height, and he covered the house with cedar wood. The word of Hashem then came to Solomon, saying, This temple that you, that you build, if you follow my decrees, perform my statutes, and observe all my commandments to follow them, I shall uphold my word with you that I spoke to David your father. I shall dwell among the children of Israel, and I shall not forsake my people Israel. Mm. Okay. So I, I think the obvious connection between the Torah portion and the Hafdra portion is that in the Torah portion, were the instructions for building the tabernacle. And in the Haftarah portion, we see um, we see the the building of, of the more permanent structure in Jerusalem. And um, there's a few things that I wanted to note about this. Um, number one, that the chosen the chosen place where um, where Hashem put his name is in Jerusalem is in the temple in Jerusalem. And this was confirmed by um, Hashem through the, the prophet Nathan and um, through his blessing. And he spoke uh, to, to David and he gave him the plans and the blessing, not for himself, but for his son to build the tabernacle. That's how we know that, that the place where Hashem put his name, we know that it is in Jerusalem not in Samaria as the, um, as the Samaritans teach, but in Jerusalem. And especially as followers of Yeshua, you know, Yeshua said, Yeshua said um, to the Samaritan woman, um, you don't know, we know, the Jews know, Jews know where it is, salvation is of the Jews. So as Messianic believers also, we accept this testimony that the chosen place is in Jerusalem. Um, I know that there's some people in the Hebrew roots movement, they, 
want to start doing the sacrifices and like they sacrifice the Passover lamb here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I heard. And a lot of times people get upset with us and they say, oh, you're not eating lamb for Passover. Why not? First of all, we do eat a little lamb for Passover, but we do not claim that it is the Passover lamb because the Passover lamb is only allowed to be slaughtered on the Temple Mount. We can't do that right now. Um, I believe, although I believe we we will be able to do that in the future. Um, the second thing that I uh, that stood out to me um, in in this Torah portion is that um, is that David it was in his heart to to build this temple for Hashem, but Hashem didn't allow him to. But he drew up all the blueprints and the construction plans. He he organized the priests and the Levites into shifts that they would they would um, be in when it when they did serve in the temple. And he even charted out liturgical services and he wrote a lot of the psalms that were sung in the temple during the temple services. And so even, even though, and, and this reminds me also of Avraham, you know, he was chosen and he was promised the promised land, but he himself didn't reach it yet. And David himself didn't build it, but they were all, even though they didn't taste it themselves in their lifetimes, um, they will, they will, there'll, there'll be a third temple for David to see. You know, Abraham will be part of the, um, you know, part of the resurrection in the promised land, etc. And I think, I feel like that's related to us right now, today, as we're trying to build this um, community of, uh, of Jewish believers in Yeshua who preserve um, the Torah and, and as well as the ways of the, the stages of our spiritual ancestors and traditions. Um, and it doesn't matter that, that many of us are converts or Batashuvas who did not grow up in Judaism. It doesn't matter. There is, there's, a, there's a man who, I forgot who it was, but um, he, he came to a, a famous sage and he said, you know, do I have a part in Israel, even though I'm a convert? And, and the sage reassured him and he said, yes, you are a descendant of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, just as any Jew is. And in fact, all Israel is said to have converted at Sinai, at the giving of the commandments. And not only that, but Hashem said that this, the word that he gave at Sinai was not only for the people there, but even for the people that weren't there. And so Midrash says that that was talking about all converts, all future converts um, that, would, that would come to Judaism. So it's also for us. And even though we may not see something great in our lifetime, like I know Ruben would love to build, you know, something in the back for, to hold a lot of people, <laughs> although we usually can barely fit, fill up our own, you know, house still. And we don't have the funds to, to, to build that. But nevertheless, even if we, you know, sure, we hope to see that kind of growth in our lifetime. But even if we don't, that doesn't mean that our actions are in vain. Abraham didn't see the promised land. David never saw the temple. But their contribution to that end goal was of extreme importance. And it's the same thing right now, you know, 
We may have a small community, but as we are building up ourselves and our children in this walk, in this way of Torah, see that it is like a business. It's like an investment. It's an investment for the future. For, and may not be something that we can reap the benefits of in our lifetime, but we should believe in our hearts that we will one day and our children will one day and each in eternity one day we will we will see these benefits um and the last thing that i wanted to point out also is that well there's also this no there's so many things that we could say about this Torah question but um i really want to talk about how it says it says Hashem said, concerning this house which you are building, if you will walk in my statutes and execute my ordinances and keep all my commandments by walking in them, then I will carry out my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father. And that promise was that, 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 there, would that there would never lack someone on the throne forever. There would be someone on the throne forever. And we have no king in Israel today because there was never such a worthy king. And there is a debate uh, here a few weeks ago. We talked about, we were talking about Yeshua. And we we're talking about how, well, someone said that he sinned. He broke Shabbat by healing, by healing someone on Shabbat, by making a, a, a formula uh, to put on a man's eyes, was it? And um, as he was saying that he broke Shabbat, I said, no, he didn't break Shabbat because there's something higher than Shabbat, which is life, life over law. And it's not limited to, he was arguing that it's limited to only um, people in life or death situations. So you can only heal someone if they're about to die and you prevent them from dying. But that's not true. There, there are Torah observant Orthodox Jews today who are blessed by their rabbis who um, to be in the medical field, to be doctors, nurses, whatever it is that they have to do. And when they go and practice their, their medical work at the hospital, they don't, they're not selective about their patients. And they're not saying, oh, this, this patient, he's about to die. I'm going to help him. But this one over here, oh, he's just a little bit sick. So I'm not going to help him because I'd be breaking Shabbat. No, no. That's not how that's not how it works in the real world world. And so I just want to uphold that I believe that Yeshua did not sin. And I don't think that 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 doesn't necessarily um, mean that it's not possible for humans to not sin. We say he's our example. That means we should walk as he walked. And also, Enoch, Enoch is known. Um, to have never sinned, and because of his uh, his blameless walk with God, he was taken up, and he never tasted death. And in Jewish lore, Enoch is known as the angelic form um, by the name of Metatron, and he's given a very high um, status in the Talmud. And Metatron is they say that you can't pronounce his name, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, messianics will argue that that is Yeshua, but um, I, I don't believe that. I believe that Metatron is Enoch 
because of the Jewish legends. And before Yeshua's time, even before Yeshua's time, there was the book of Enoch, which talked about many things um, that were very parallel to the things that are spoken about of Yeshua, um, of Yeshua in, in the Brit Hadashah and later. I don't believe Yeshua's Metatron. I believe if, if Metatron is real, that he is, according to Talmud and, and Jewish legend, um, Enoch. And there are, in, um, in ancient Sidors, there's mention, or maybe even modern Sidors, there's mention of both Yeshua, Yeshua, Sarhapanim, and also Metatron, both. Both of them mentioned as different entities in the same, in the same, um, in the same verses. Okay, and also, I would also like to say that in order for us to have this, um, to have this messianic king that will rule forever, which is what the sages say will happen, that, that we're going to have a messianic era, and that the Bible even says that we're going to live for a very long time, and that if someone dies before 1,000 years of age, we're going to think, oh, they died a babe. They died a baby because they didn't reach a thousand, a thousand years old. I believe that's what it says in, in the Bible, in the Tanakh. Um, so there has to be, you know, we, Hashem would not command us to do something that we were not capable of doing. Hashem commanded us to walk in Torah. And the Torah itself says that the commandment is not far from you. It's not up in heaven. It's not in the depths of the sea where we have to go out somewhere impossible to get it. It's right here. It's near to us. We can read it. We can, we can memorize it. We can, um, we can apply it to our lives. We can hold it in our hearts. We can do it. We may not, you know, we may fall short over and over and over again, but it is the goal that we must continually try to pursue. In the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, it says in 131.1, it says in the Halakha, instructions for Yom Kippur Eve, the Day of Atonement, it's customary to carry out, to carry out the kaparot, the sacrifices, in the pre-dawn hours of the day before Yom Kippur, as then the attribute of mercy is greatest. One takes a non-castrated rooster for a man. So this is a modern Jewish tradition that's done. They take a chicken, a rooster for a man, and a hen for a woman, this is done primarily by Ashkenazim. For a pregnant woman, she takes both the rooster and a hen. She takes a hen for herself and a rooster in case the baby that she's carrying is a male. And it says, we are told here that a pregnant woman must have two chickens for kaparot, one for her and one for her baby in her womb. But the question is, why does the unborn baby need atonement? And in Midrash, Rabbah, it shows that the sages understood that sin is inherited. Now, I'm often accused of being both a missionary and an anti-missionary. And I think the reason why is because I really don't care to prove either side. I just want the truth. And the, the concept of original sin is, as taught by Christianity is that we are born, we're all born sinful with an evil nature destined to be tormented in hell forever. That's the Catholic doctrine. And although I reject that doctrine, the doctrine of original sin, there are some Jewish truths in that. And it says in Midrash Rabbah, Moshe said to Hashem, to the Lord of the world, he said, there are 36 decrees that if a man breaks one of them, he must be put to death. So there are certain Torah commandments that require a death sentence. 
And, it, and he said, I did not break any of them. Why do you sentence me to death? He said to me, Hashem answers Moshe, he says, in the sin of the first man you die, as he brought death unto the world. So this is from a Jewish source, the Midrash Shabbat, Jewish legend, that says, yes, there is a sin that we all inherit from Adam. But that doesn't mean that we are not capable of sinlessness. Enoch achieved it. Yeshua achieved it. And I think it's very important for Yeshua as the coming king, as the coming Mashiach ben David, to be sinless. Because if he, weren't, if he were not sinless, then he could not reign forever. There would be no Messianic era where there was no more sin and that people could live to, you know, a thousand years or more and even more past the Messianic era in the world to come. We cannot have eternal life without sin. And in this world, it's like, I believe it's like practice. In this world, we're going to fail many, many times. We're going to sin many, many times, but it is training ground. It's training ground for us to understand the, the consequences of sin, the effects of sin in our lives and in the lives of the, you know, people to come, generations to come. Another famous anti-missionary argument is that Hashem does not punish. It says in the Torah, it says in the Torah that a man should not be punished for the sin of his father. However, it also says in the Torah that, that, that Hashem um, punishes to, to up to the third and fourth generations of those who hate him, right? And who do not follow in his ways, who, who do not keep his commandments. So although we are not supposed to punish the son for the father's sins, that is for us. Hashem doesn't, doesn't, is not subject to the laws that he puts on us. There are natural consequences that he set up, his laws of nature, his laws of the way sin works, where in fact our sins do affect our children and our children's children. That doesn't mean that Hashem breaks his Torah. It means that, that the, the specific commandment of not punishing the son for the father's sins is about legislation that belongs in court, but that doesn't speak to the consequences of sin in the long run. I think that's important to understand because it's a very famous anti-missionary argument against, you know, Yeshua, the argument of Yeshua and his sacrificial death and the, and, um, and the need for that and, and, and the consequence of sin long-term and the idea of original sin. So um, to sum up, uh, I would just like to say that we need to continue striving to keep God's commandments, to keep his Torah, and that Hashem will bless us. And it is possible. We may not ever attain it, but we have to keep striving for it. And nothing bad will come out of striving for perfection. Nothing bad will ever come out of striving for goals that may seem impossible. If they are good goals, even though they seem impossible, they are, in reality, they are possible. And even if they aren't possible in our lifetime, we will be rewarded for, for even pursuing, trying to pursue, daring to pursue great things. Yeah. I just had a question. I just wanted you to clarify. Is 
Is there original sin or not original sin? Because I kind of felt like you kind of said there was and wasn't at the same time. So I just want to clarify. Well, I think when most people... Like, did Enoch have original sin or not original sin? I mean, according to this, everyone inherits original sin. And I would like to say that even, even Yeshua would have inherited original sin because even if you don't... okay. Yeshua's mother was Miriam. The, the reality is the original Catholic doctrine of original sin was not that Yeshua was sinless, but that Mary was sinless. Uh -huh. That is the original, original, original sin doctrine. To, to, to see that Yeshua inherited whatever he got from Miriam, which was the same as what she got from Adam, does not detract from who he is as a sinless sacrifice. Because despite the fact that he also inherited original sin from Adam, being the, you know, being from Miriam, I believe he's also from Yosef, but that's a different story. Even if he's not from Yosef, even if he's only from Miriam, then of course he he contracted original sin from her as well. And so just because he did you know, inherit original sin from him, all the more he becomes our example that we can follow. Because if he inherited original sin, yet he was able to overcome and live a sinless life, when he tells us to be perfect, just as his father in heaven is perfect, that's not, he's not giving us an impossible commandment. He's actually giving us something that we should believe we can attain and should strive for. Does that make sense? That makes sense. I just wanted to clarify. That's because it was kind of confusing. <clears throat> it's a very confusing concept in and of itself. I think, I think next next week you can talk about why Yeshua's sacrifice was necessary. Why is that what it's about next week? The Torah portion? No, but I'm just saying to oh. to sum up this from this one to next week. <laughs> All right, let's continue on on page 77, um, Psalm 145. <clears throat> Tovaranai <laughs> 
ובוד הדר מחותו, מחות כל מחות כל עולמים, ומשתך בכל דור ודור, צומק אדוני לכל הנופלים, וזוקף לכל הכפופים, עיני כל אליך יסברו, ואתה נותן לכם ואתם ביתו, פותח ידיך. ומצביע לו כל הרצון, צדיק אדוני בכל דרכיו, וחסיד בכל מעשיו, קרוב אדוני לכל קוראיו, לכל אשר יקראו באמת, רצון יראיו יעשה, ואת שבתם ישמע יושיעם, שומר אדוני את כל אביו. ואת כוש מים ישמיד, תלה אדוני אדבר פי, ויברק כה בשר שם קודשו לעולם May the one who blessed our fathers and our mothers, Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, may he bless the sick. Gisela. Leah bat peshachai, genie herbal. Avala ben Abraham. May the Holy Blessed One overflow with compassion upon them to restore them, to heal them, to strengthen them, to rejuvenate them. May he send them speedily a complete healing from heaven, a healing of the soul and a healing of the body, speedily without delay, and let us all sing. Amen. And page 86, a prayer for our government. Our God and God of our ancestors, accept with mercy our prayer for our land and its government. Pour out your blessing on this land, on its president, judges, officers, and officials. Work faithful, faithfully for the public good. Teach him from the laws of your Torah. Enlighten him with the rules of your justice, so that peace, tranquility, happiness, and freedom will never depart from our land. God of all that lives, please bestow your spirit on all the inhabitants of our land and plant love, fellowship, peace, and friendship between the different communities and faiths that dwell here. Uproot from their hearts all hate, animosity, jealousy, and strife. In order to fulfill the longings of its people who aspire for its dignity and desire to see it as a light for all nations. And so may it be God's will that our land be a blessing for all who live on earth and that fellowship and liberty will dwell between them. Establishing the vision of your prophet, nation will not raise sword against nation and they will no longer learn war. And as it is said, for all them will know me from the smallest to the greatest. All right. And let us um, go. Let us all go back and do our own personal Musaf Amidah on page thirty-six. So let us stand for the Amidah and do our own personal Amidah.
All right. Let us, um, those of you who are still doing your personal Amidah, continue to do so. Let us turn to page 88 for the Ein Kelochenu. Let us give thanks to our God. Let us give thanks to our Lord. Let us give thanks to our King. Let us give thanks to our Deliverer. En kelohenu, en karonenu, en kemohenu, en kemoshi enu, mi kelohenu, mi karonenu, mi kemohenu, mi kemoshi enu, no de lelohenu, no de ladonenu, no de lemakenu, no de lemoshi enu, Baruk elohenu, Baruk adonenu, Baruk makenu, Baruk moshi enu, Atahu elohenu, Atahu adonenu, Atahu makenu, Atahu moshi enu, Atahu sheik teru, Avotenu, and uh, page 89 and 90 for the uh, uh, he has made he has not made our portion like theirs nor our lot like all their multitudes but we bend the knee and bow and give thanks before the king of kings the holy one blessed be he Alenu leshebeak la don hako, la tetlergayetse bereshit, shalo asanekere haratzot, velo samanu kamishpachot hadama, shalo sam kachenu kahem, vegora lenu kekohamonam. Venachnu korim, umishtakavim umodim, Lipne melek mache hamlachim hakadosh baruchu shehu no teshemaim veyaser aretz umashakara bashemaim imaa shchinatuzo shchinatuzo begave meromim hu eloheinu enod emet macheinu epetulato. Kakatu betorato veyaratahayom veyaratahayom vahashavota eleva vecha ki adonai huha elohim bashamayim imal veyal haaretz veyal haaretz mitacha enon enon all right, in page 91 and 92, the Adon and he is my God, my living Redeemer, and the rock of my pain in times of trouble. He is my banner and a refuge for me, the portion of my cup on the day I call. Adonolam 
לעת נשא בחצו כל עזי מלך שמו נקרא ואחרי יקלו הכל לבדו ימלוק נורא והוא היה והוא הווה והוא יהיה בתארה והוא אחד ואין שני להמשילו להכבירה בלי ראשית בלי תקליט ולא העוז והמשרה וכו' לי וחי גואלי וצורכם לי בעת צרה והוא ניסי ומנוס לי, מנקוסי ביום אחרא בידו החירוכי, באישן ואירה, ואם רוחי גביעתי, אדונה לי ולא אירה. says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may not be children, that you may be children of your father in heaven. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Those online, I think... Stay, stay, online. Online. stay online. I think there's a maybe an online Oneg that you guys could just fellowship and talk on there. Uh, yeah, I could do Kiddush and Hamotzi here. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.
And the children of Israel, Israel shall keep the Shabbat, observing it throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It's a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Bishamru Israel et Shabbat le'asot et ha-Shabbat le'doratam berit olam. Beni uven b'nei Yisrael, oti le'olam, oti Remember the Shabbat day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Shabbat of the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, your cattle, and the stranger that is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is within them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Shabbat day and sanctified it. Let's do uh, um, hand washing.
All right. First guess is. I mean, Daisy played with Mooney and Sassy when they were here. Yeah, but she almost killed them too. And now she's bigger and tougher than we did. Way bigger. I was about to grab some because I forgot it was a high layer. No, it's because I saw a big old thing. Oh, yeah, we put nothing in. As a good host, you know, with Daniel, you should always let your guests eat first. <laughs> You're not a guest. Yes, they're guests. Yeah, they're guests. <laughs> they don't live here in this house. You did. They never lived in this house. They visited one one night or two nights. How do I go by uh, buying a seedwood or the one we have here? Mm -hmm.
Hello, can you hear me? Hmm. Can't hear anyone. Speaker. Hello? Okay, I can, you can hear me, but I can't hear anyone talking over there. Can you, can you guys? Yes, I can hear you. Ah, there we go. <laughs> now I can hear you talking. Hey, I'm gonna put a virtual background on so you can't see my messy bedroom. <laughs> yeah, so sorry. That's, I thought it was funny though. <laughs> that's what she did. She laughed. Do your grape juice and wine and challah. Yeah. Um, we, don't, we don't have any of that stuff because over here, where we live, there is wine, but there's no um, great, there's no holler or anything like that. So we just use regular, regular saltine crackers. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you could just use bread. Yeah. Too. Yeah, but <laughs> but where we used to live, there was a kosher. It, it was called Kroger. But yeah. but we called it kosher Kroger because they had a kosher section where they where they had like kosher milk, kosher cheese, you know, kosher um um well well it's kosher dairy section and kosher meat section and in the middle and in the middle they had like matzo matzo soup and they had Menashevitz and they and they had some other brands of of kosher stuff, and they had like, and they had like, um, kosher utensils, you know, like the red, the blue kosher utensils and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So they had that, but that Kroger got rid of all that stuff. Yeah, you can oh. just, I mean, if you don't have challah, you can still say the blessing. Um, just use um, like two whole pieces of bread that have not been sliced or torn apart, like. If there's just two of you, you could get like two dinner rolls, you know, two dinner rolls, yeah. um, for example, and just, you know, do the blessing on that. It just shouldn't be cut or torn apart. It should be whole yeah. to do that um, for that, for that, for that specific blessing I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, I got a question for you. I was watching TikTok and this family, this 